Hi, I'm Sue Hoppert-Johnson. Welcome to At the Table. And our focus is going to be the covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition. And um, we're going to kind of, kind of plumb its depths and see what we can see what the Holy Spirit lays on our hearts to discuss. So if you have prayer requests, we're setting up an email and I'll put in the chat the email address that we'll send it to. But if you have some thoughts or this prayer stirs your heart or you have some things that you'd like to contribute to the conversation, by all means, yeah, use that email address and send it in. The covenant prayer has a long history in the Methodist tradition. Uh, John Wesley did not write it, so it's not it's Wesley's covenant prayer in the sense he used it a lot, but he did not write it. He lifted a lot of it. Uh, he was widely read and had a tremendous devotional life. And there was a Puritan by the name of Richard, and I've heard it said Alain and Alain. But anyhow, uh, this Puritan influenced Wesley, and he lifted a lot of this prayer from the writings of this Puritan man. And the first time he set up the service using this prayer, uh, and it was a prayer uh, watch night kind of service in 1755. So it goes way back. It was widespread in England, usually used on New Year's Day uh, as a way to recommit ourselves to God and to really focus on the spiritual life and to get off to a fresh start in a very uh, focused and holy way. And so that was how Methodist churches used it. Uh, they used it during uh, usually New Year's. They used it during uh, Epiphany, during Lent, and, and we invite you to explore and plumb the depths of this prayer during Lent this year, and we'll have some uh, suggestions for that. But uh, it has, in the United States, kind of a checkered past uh, in the sense that uh, some have been exposed and some have not. I was fortunate in my youth group, in my uh, Methodist youth, United Methodist Youth Fellowship, we had a youth director who was captivated by the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, and we used it. And I remember as a 12 or 13-year-old just being convicted, profoundly convicted by its words, its words of surrender, its words of turning your life over to God. And that stayed with me my whole life. Uh, then when I had my first position as an associate pastor, my first appointment in Florida, we had a Cuban deacon. And he was the director of Christian education. And he, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure where he picked it up. He was very much uh, influenced by the Roman Catholic Church in Cuba, but also uh, the history of Methodism. He was a real student. And so he was the keeper of the covenant prayer and the keeper of the watch night service. So for his 20, 25 year tenure at that church, every New Year's Eve, uh, they had it. Now, it was also popular early on in this century in the United States during Prohibition because churches would have a watch night service to keep people out of bars, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but we've moved away from that. And now it's I've always used it on uh, the Sunday after Christmas or on New Year's uh, as, as a time to really recommit uh, our lives and our surrender to Christ. So uh, my conversation partners, I'm very excited to have them, are Byron and Duana Thomas. Uh, Byron is the lead pastor at Ben Hill United Methodist Church, one of our uh, figurehead leading amazing churches. And Duana is the, um, the, the head of the uh, Methodist, the Black Church Renewal, uh, BC 
BCMR, Black, <laughs> Black Methodist for Church Renewal. But you got it. I always get the, I always get the uh, letters mixed up. But I, I'm delighted with Dewana's leadership, and that group has been a force for, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. for equality, for justice, for righteousness, and Dewana speaks well for that. But uh, this mm. week, uh, in, the, in the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, we're going to start with the very first line, which is, I am no longer my own, but thine. And so, uh, first of all, I'm going to ask Dewana and Byron about their, uh, their history with Watch Night Services and their history with this prayer. Dewana, why don't you start? And then, Byron, you can pick okay. up after that. First of all, Watch Night Service, in uh, my tradition, is a, is a real, real thing. Uh, I, I grew up with watch night service having to be there. And it was also in the tradition of how we waited for freedom mm. originally. So it's commemorating that it's for God to keep us through the year, keep us through the night, mm -hmm. keep us until our freedom comes. And so then New Year's was Emancipation Day and that's celebrated in many churches. And this prayer for me, um, there's freedom in Christ. Mm. To, to give yourself wholly to someone who loves you so dearly and wants what's best for you and connects you to the God of all creation. That's freedom. To walk in that, to own that, that's freedom, which is why I love the first verse of this prayer. The first time I heard this prayer was in a conversation probably about a month ago. And sometimes I, uh, not having grown up in the Methodist church, sometimes I don't speak Methodist. It's not my first language. I have to translate. And so I immediately start saying, okay, this is a thing. I need to know what this thing is. And I looked it up and I thought it was just a profound history, but it was not one that when I heard watch night, I thought this prayer, I thought mm -hmm. the watch night that I participate in, in my church. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just a wonderful, um, just a wonderful prayer about the transforming love of God when we yield to him. And that's very much so part of my tradition, very much mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. And, and where I come to that is anything that talks about the power of the Holy spirit to transform us. I, I sit right there. I sit right there. Mm -hmm. And for me, uh, watch night service, uh, I cannot remember when uh, we did not have a watch night service. Uh, the thing about it though, it was very much a community event and mm -hmm. it was not just the church that I grew up in. It was the churches coming together uh, very much in the tradition of the waiting uh, for the news of freedom on the part of the community. And it was always a service that was looked forward to. It was always a service that had depth. It was always a service that centered on God. And so I uh, say that to say, uh, really, um, I was introduced, sometimes you're introduced to things and it's like you've been doing them and then you find out there's a name for it. Uh, I kind of feel like that as it relates to the Wesleyan Covenant prayer that what's at the heart, what's at the center of this prayer, what, 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 what draws us into this prayer, what is inspiring about this prayer, uh, that it was at the heart of the watch night service all along. Mm -hmm. And then you find out, oh, this is another name for it. Right. And right. Um, that is, um, you know, something that is profound. And to Dewana's point, I think, 
being able to be, <laughs> for lack of a better term, multilingual as it relates <laughs> to the, as it relates to the faith is actually a a good thing. I think that mm -hmm. that's part of our Methodist tradition when it's been at its best. Our capacity to, uh, if you will, translate it into the language of uh, another tradition and, and mm -hmm. realize, oh, we're talking about the same thing. We just may be utilizing right. different words. And so, uh, yeah, I grew up with. Uh, yeah, I love the communal aspect, mm -hmm. you know, that it reached um, across yeah. the community. And I, I would I would love to reclaim that. And I would love I would love uh, Methodists, you know, to take we've been really good at borrowing the best from all traditions. I mean, we're mutts, right? We're hybrid uh, <laughs> Roman Catholic to Anglican uh, to uh, the best of the Puritans. I love that this was a Puritan prayer. Uh, so the Calvin, we take the best from the Calvinists, but I love the. I love the sense of surrender and the sense of renewing this every year. I think there is power in that. And I think that flows from our, our Wesleyan understanding that uh, salvation is a progression, right? That, that we become more like Christ through spiritual practices over time. That, um, it's, you know, that, that we are not perfected all at once but that we, through our lives and our experience and our constant spiritual practice, God unfolds and creates Christ in us. Mm -hmm. And I think that I need to be reminded every year that this is not my work. I, I cannot, I used to laugh at the, the what would Jesus do movement because I had one of those bracelets and I would think, well, what would Jesus do? And I'd do just the opposite, right? <laughs> because, because it's not my work. If I'm not, if I'm not praying and open to the Holy Spirit to give me Jesus's thoughts and to give me Jesus's um, perspective and to give me Jesus's overwhelming, compelling love for all of God's creation, I can't do this. And so I need to be reminded every year that I am only as conformed to Christ as I'm willing to surrender me. I love, they used to say about Susanna Wesley, and this like is her. a vote now, but you know, 17 kids. And, and she said, she said, I have to, I have to beat out their spirit so the Holy Spirit has a chance. Now, I don't think she meant physically beat them, but she realized what a challenge it is for God to have sway in our human hearts because we want to do and be in control, right? I'm an Enneagram eight, so I am totally about <laughs> control. But the sense that I have to turn to God and it's humbling because I can't do this work myself. This is God's work. And so uh, when I think about uh, one of the lines in the prayer is so mm -hmm. be it. And when mm -hmm. I think about my life and my transformation, I don't know about you, but I look at 80 and 90 year olds who are so peaceful and so loving and so nothing, nothing, they're unflappable. Nothing throws them. You can sense a spiritual peace and maturity in their presence. And I long with all my heart to be one of those people, mm -hmm. but just wishing it's not going to make it right. So every year I have to open myself to God daily, day in and day out, mm -hmm. and say, do your work, because I'm not there yet, and it frustrates the heck out of me. So there's a humility of, I, I can't do this, 
And um, so that that's what I need. So be it for me is I, I am a work in progress. And if I don't give time and space over to the Holy Spirit, I will never live into the fullness of Christ like I want to live into it. One of the things that I love about the so be it versus the amen is many times people will say amen, but they won't translate it into so be it. Hmm. They won't own it. They won't they won't make that the the covenant. That's the part of the prayer that says what I have said before, make it so. And make it so in such a way that I believe it, even now that it is so, let me live into that. Mm-hmm. And it is the, um, it's just the beauty of that when everybody's in that same space. I love at the end of our service when we're worshiping together at Ben Hill, where we all sing, amen. Mm. And it's just all of the voices saying, so be it, because there has been things in that service, there have been things in that service that you want to take on, you want to incorporate, you are blessed by and, and to hold on to it at the end and not just walk away from the prayer, mm. but to hold on to it at the end and make that covenant mm. to make that vow. It's the word is bond moment in the prayer. Yeah. And it's yeah. the thing that ties me to what I've said. Mm-hmm. There's power in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So be it. Yeah. I think uh, one of the other things about this prayer is it uh, took me directly back to my call um, Mm -hmm. to ministry um, and particularly how it literally changed the trajectory of my life. Ministry is not something that was on my radar. It is not something that I ever, 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 ever would have done. Ever, never. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Would have done on my own. Yeah. Uh, I had a plan for my life. And, and, and so when the call came and it was clear, I literally had to abandon that plan. Um, and there is something that, that came later to me that, that, that is the reason why this prayer resonated and, and continues to resonate with me because I never would have gone into ministry on my own. Mm-hmm. It was by call. I'm very hesitant to ever talk about my ministry or mm-hmm. my church. It is God's ministry. It is God's mm-hmm. call. Mm-hmm. It is God's church. It is always God's people. But what I was being invited slash called into is a position of stewardship. Mm-hmm. And it is an ongoing stewardship. And I think it's important um, for for us to um, realize what it is we've been called to do, because otherwise um, we can begin to brand ourselves Mm -hmm. when actually the brand already exists. Mm -hmm. It it is God and Jesus Christ and salvation for this world. That is it for us. It's not about Byron's ministry. It's not Mm -hmm. about how large of a church. It's not about any other thing. And so this stewardship piece that has at the heart of it, this surrender, Mm -hmm. I'm no longer my own. Right. And, and, and Bishop, to your point, uh, the corporate nature of it and the renewal at the beginning of the year is important. But I think one of the things that I really appreciated about Wesley is the ongoing disciplines throughout the year oh, to yeah. keep it fresh and right. present in the lives of people. 
so that mm-hmm. it's not left behind. It's 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 the journey. And right. um, so, yeah, this took me back to my call and this whole thing of the ongoing living in ministry and stewardship of that call. Right. Um, and the other thing, quite frankly, that it prevents us from doing is the danger of engaging in a worship that is just the better version of ourselves mm-hmm. as opposed to worshiping God. We never have right. to surrender if we just, you know, God has now made into been made into our best image. It's right. still about us. Right. Yeah. Let me fit God into my life rather than giving it over. Right. That's it. Exactly. Dawana, talk about a little about though. I am, this is a prayer for everybody. Mm-hmm. That God's call is to every human being. That God, you know, some are called to specialized ministry, some are called to lead in the church, but every human being is called to surrender to God. And God has a purpose in a way to use every human being for the salvation of the world. That's the communal nature of it. So talk to us about the call of the laity. Absolutely, because that's the first thing to me that happens, you cannot be a Christian if you have not heard the call because our our becoming Christian is a response to an ancient call that has been there and it's still there. And the call is, I love you, will you love me back? Mm -hmm. And if you say yes to that, then the answer and the the progress that you make immediately with that that moment is, then you must love others. Mm -hmm. So if we never move anywhere else, if we master that part, but the, the call for me is, um, it is a sacred work. It is a sacred dialogue. It is a sacred ask and it is a sacred answer. And mm-hmm. to treat it common um, or to treat it like a, a task that I do because I have this thing that I like. There are people who have gifts. God has given us gifts and they're not for us. They're for the body. Mm-hmm. And so there are people that are beautifully gifted or beautifully talented. And those are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. I've watched people use their gifts in ways that, oh, they're just phenomenal. And they can sing you into salvation because they have that gift. There are people who I've seen that can usher in ways that make coming into the house of the Lord feel sacred from beginning to end. And then there are others that are um, not using their gifts. And I think that's sometimes what we suffer right. from in the laity is many of us have given over to the professional ministry, the task that God really gave to mm, us. Absolutely. Yeah. And so our churches are often full of people who can do, but don't, mm-hmm. or who are called to do, but won't, or who have tremendous gifts and could reach the people that the professional staff cannot reach right? because this is an intimate work. This thing is a, is a one-on-one contact. Jesus did not sit in the synagogue and say, they're coming to me. And when they come, I'll talk to them. He was out there with people. Yeah. And, and many of us um, have found ways to, to love Christ and not like Christians. <laughs> you know, I, you bring to mind, I remember when I graduated from seminary, one of my professors said, you know, Sue, in some ways, I wish you were going back to practice law. And I said, why is that? He goes, because you expect preachers to talk about (laughs) Jesus, but lawyers not so much. But what I I think what, what um, 
to me, you have, you, you are gifted by God to build up the community, to build up your, your faith community, but you're also gifted by God to speak of Christ and to love in ways that are beyond human understanding. So I have seen lawyers who practice law in a way that honored Christ and doctors and teachers. And I think of all the people, I mean, we could go on and on in our lives about people who seemed like just like ordinary people, but man, they transformed me. I think of my Sunday school teachers. I think of doctors who have been tremendously mm -hmm. compassionate. I think of just people who extended kindness in, in ways that, uh, you know, I, that were beyond them. And so uh, to, to really try to limit God's calling um, to clergy, thank God we're not all preachers. That would be an ugly world. <laughs> everybody would want the mic. <laughs> we need everybody's gifts. And so, yeah, the professional clergy model needs to be dispensed with because, boy, the gifts that are sitting in the pews untapped and not celebrated enough, quite frankly, um, you know, I think that um, there's power in that. I have one more story about this prayer. Um, after when I was, I was in my first appointment and in that first appointment, every week, somebody had a huge stroke. I don't know what it was, but uh, members of the church for like four weeks solid. Mm. Uh, so they were on life support. And so for four weeks, I was involved in conversations about, um, you know, whether life support should be removed. It was just agonizing. And uh, lots was going on in the church. And I was just, I, I was like, why did I, God, why did I ever answer this call? This is really hard work. <laughs> this is, you know, I was just stressed and strained and, and trying to live into uh, my calling new in ministry. And I remember, I still had my BMW from when I practiced law. I drove that car for 14 years and I had taken it to be serviced and I was waiting for it to be done. And I was looking at the new cars and there was this $80,000 beautiful BMW convertible. And I thought, man, what if I just bought that? I mean, this was the stress talking and just fear <laughs> of being a pastor. I thought, what if I bought this car and just took off? I could find, you know, I could practice law again. I could do whatever I wanted. And you know what line went through my head? I am no longer my own, but thine. And I realized that I could not escape it, that it was not to be escaped, that I needed to learn and to learn to, you know, pastor as best I could and to uh, commit myself to that. But that that threat of escape did go through my head and what called me back to reality. And it reminded me of scripture. Remember when, when Jesus says, if you can go and they're like, where would we go? Where would we go? And so at that moment, I realized there is a hold and a call and an identity beyond myself that I will never escape. And that was terrifying, but it was also the most wonderful and beautiful thing I'd ever experienced. So, um, have you, is that your experience as well? The, the, you know, the, the, the joy of being claimed by Christ, the joy of answering that call, but also the sheer work, the, the, how you will be used. And it's also the power that you will be given.
yes. to carry out the task that you were assigned. Yeah. yeah. And often um, what I find is if I'm struggling with something, I have to stop and say, okay, is this mine? Because if it's something I really cannot stand, sometimes it is mine. And it's mm-hmm. the thing that's growing me. It's the thing because patience is one of my problems. I need to <laughs> always have to go through something to get patience because I'm just not naturally patient. But it's in the uh, it's in the bearing and the tearing and the praying through and in the sitting with it mm-hmm. that my patience grows over time, which is why uh 90 year olds look so peaceful. They've gone through so much. They've just gone through so much. And it is in, I have found that it is in the, it is in the breaking of me Mm -hmm. that I'm useful. It's in the Mm -hmm. places that have been uh, ripped open and repaired that I am most useful because Mm -hmm. sooner or later, somebody is going to come to me. Generally that when people come to me, it's quietly, it's in a phone call, it's off to the side and there's a struggle, there's a thing, there's a something. And lo and behold, there's something that's usable in all of those broken parts that I've mm-hmm. seen in my own life. And mm-hmm. it's, it, it's in that one-on-one, it's in that being with and walking with or praying with, or t- it's, it's in the one-on-one that makes this faith so beautiful because we're not by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Not only are we not by ourselves in whatever our situation is, we're not by ourselves in our gifts. Um, I can use Byron and, and I for an example, simply because we have some similar gifts and we have some different gifts, mm-hmm. but there are things in him that I need, not just because he's my spouse, but because he's my brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's the same vice versa. But if we don't, have, we don't open ourselves up to other people, we we're, we can't be used that way. Exactly. I think one of, think one of the other components to this um, is, um, you know, a lot of, and, and we've we've fallen prey to this as the church, of um, the, the point that you made of the professional ministry, mm-hmm. and a lot of people look and say, well, what do they do but prepare sermons on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Um, what you were describing earlier and what so many pastors have been a part of is, is holy or sacred work. When you are mm-hmm. invited into um, a family's discussion mm-hmm. about whether or not they should discontinue life support and mm-hmm. they intentionally, they, they, they're not bringing in the funeral director. They're not bringing in, mm-hmm. you know, so they're bringing in the pastor to help them deal with this heavy moment in their life or whether they should discontinue life support. That's sacred work. Yes. Um, um, I got a phone call just yesterday from one of my older members who had been taking care of her sick sister for years and now is uh, taking care of both of her other sisters. And she was just saying she is a worn out mm-hmm. pastor. Mm-hmm. Give me a word. What do I do? Yeah. What, what, that's holy work. And if mm-hmm. we don't realize the value of that work, um, it would be, it's easy for us to stay over in, or slip over into the professionalism and, mm. and stay camped out there when the world needs us to be who God has called us to be. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you remind me of uh, Eugene Peterson <clears throat> wrote a great book called The Unnecessary Pastor. <laughs> and, and he said, he said that our most important work is that that, that the world does not lend that much credence to, right? Yeah, exactly. So the prayer, uh, the, the spiritual disciplines that we model, the keeping of Sabbath that we model, all of those things are countercultural, and most people would view them as unnecessary. But, you know, that's the heart of what we do. It's the spiritual, and quite frankly, that's what I prefer my time to be as a pastor. You know, get a church administrator. Get folks who you think are necessary to do the necessary stuff, and let me do the unnecessary stuff, because... It's, you know, uh, to me, more and more, I realize that I need to spend my time in doing the important but not urgent stuff. And that as a pastor, we get pulled into the urgent or think it's urgent. But the important but not urgent is our, is our that's where we are centered, that we are doing work that nobody else can do. Um in a way that um, is sacred, that we bring the sacred moments into the, into the hardest situations imaginable. And, you know, I, I, I hurt as I see our hospitals, the ICUs fill up because as pastors, we spend so much time in ICUs. I know how an ICU works inside and out. And it breaks my heart that, that pastors are not in those rooms because, and, and the, you know, the medical staff, talk about they see us as necessary the average person in the world might not but they see us as necessary and i you know i think of the hours and hours that we have spent in icus and i don't know byron i'll ask you this i somebody thought i was crazy but every time i leave an icu i drive and i look and i think how is the world going on normally right i have just been in life and death, in, in critical time, and the world's going on there, you know, and, and, and this is happening all the time in ICUs all over the world. And, and I would just marvel that the world is going on normally and this hugely dramatic and, and horrific stuff is happening in the hospital. And then I'd always, always want to go get a cheeseburger. <laughs> I, it was like, I am going to rage against the dying of the day. <laughs> so I don't know. That was that, you know, something, there's just something that triggers in me. I'm going to, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I do think to honor the sake, you know, the giving over, but, but the giving over of the laity as well. And some of the finest lay visitors in hospitals mm -hmm. I've seen. Uh, the lay, you know, the finest visitor I've ever seen in a hospital was a layman who took it upon himself and just had that gift. So um, I, I think, you know, as we start out this new year, um, I think we recommit ourselves to surrender to Christ. But like you say, Byron, day in and day out, that, that we set aside time and space to be formed, to be molded, to be given a vision you know, for our lives and for our collective lives together from God um, and not to fall into the trap of, you know, I'm just going to make my own plans and, and come to church and have God rubber stamp them for me, right? That to me is the height of idolatry and so misguided. So I, I think, you know, I, I, I continue to beg our churches 
to really focus more on prayer, to pray more than they act, to refocus their vision and future. To You know, a lot of times churches just seem to go on autopilot and they don't yeah. spend the time discerning where God is leading in this year at this time. And it just kind of rolls and rolls and rolls and God kind of increasingly gets left out of the picture. And, you know, I love how Jesus told uh, the, the angels tell the women, Jesus has gone on ahead of you. You'll meet up, meet up with him. And I always feel like Jesus is waiting for us out in our communities, waiting for us with a new vision, but we're just not listening. I think that to your point, um, this, this whole, when the, when the invitation is given by the psalmist, oh, magnify the Lord mm -hmm. with me, let us exalt his name together. That whole thing of magnifying or making bigger God in our lives, that, that the prayers that we engage in, the Bible studies, the worship, the service are all of all a part of making uh, God's space bigger within mm -hmm. us. And when mm -hmm. God's space is bigger within us, then our lives are actually enriched. Mm -hmm. And, and so these uh, seemingly unnecessary things, these spiritual disciplines that you talk about, uh, they actually serve to deepen our lives and to enrich our lives so that we can actually speak deeper to people than they may even realize, but that they're actually longing for in their lives. Mm. Because the reality of it is, is that the God who made us has wired us for God to worship and mm -hmm. to serve God. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do that, we'll continue to search and supplement and do all these other things. But, but it is only when we get back to God and begin that journey uh, that as difficult and trying as it may be at times, it is the journey that we're supposed to be on. It is the fit that we really right. been looking for and testing out all this other stuff. And it's like coming home. Yeah, and it means letting go of the wheel. So I am no Absolutely. longer my own, but thine. Uh, Dewana, I'm going to turn to you now. And, you know, I want our folks to have a breath prayer, a prayer that they can mm. pray day in and day out this week. Mm. And I'm going to ask you to give us the breath prayer for the week after our conversation. I think we've plumbed a lot of richness today. And mm. The prayer that comes to mind is, is one that will keep us together um, as the body of Christ. And so I, I would say as we, if we're going to do it together or I can do it either way. Um, that as we take that deep breath, that we pause and we say, Father, your will, not mine. Mm. And as we exhale and we get to the bottom of that, that breath that we've let out, keep us as one. Mm. Let us be your body. Mm. Because we are the hands and feet. Mm. And so... Well, I thank you both. Um, I look forward to this journey as these conversations continue. Blessings in this 2021. Absolutely. And um, I hope that all of us this year will grow in Christ and reflect him, magnify him as Absolutely. we never have before. Absolutely. Thank you both. So God be the glory. Thank you, Bishop. Amen. Yes. Take care. Bye-bye. 
At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together. <laughs>